God bless you. Come on. We're excited to be here on the last week of Black History Month. We have a treat for you today. We're blessed. Are you excited about Jesus? Well, I want to present our speaker today to speak to our conversation on righteous resistance. We are blessed to have uh, here with us today a very well sought after preacher. Uh, he, he, he jumped through some hoops to fit us in today, and we're so excited. I want to introduce you to Pastor Johnson A. Bevan. He is the pastor of Citadel of Faith, Church of God in Christ here in Indianapolis. He serves in the Church of God in Christ uh, as, as denomination sec executive secretary for the International Department of Evangelism. He has a heart for people, and he's an administrative assistant and the Episcopal assistant in the Indiana North Central Jurisdiction. Pastor Bevan was a former local coordinator and instructor for the Interdenominational Theological Center, or ITC, Certificate in Theology Program, and a former adjunct faculty at Simmons College of Kentucky and the Church of God in Christ C.H. Mason Institute. He has been a religious columnist for the Indianapolis Recorder newspaper since 2011 and has been featured in several publications, Who's Who in Black Indianapolis. Pastor Bevan is a graduate of Ball State University and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is married to Rita Mooney Bevan. Praise God for her. And he is the father of one adult son. All of that is amazing. But what you should know today is that he is highly anointed by God, a gifted orator, and God has sent him here today to speak to our conversation. Help me give a warm common ground welcome to our guest today, Pastor Johnson Bevan. Thank you, Pastor Ken, and it is a joy, it's a pleasure to be here on this Lord's Day, celebrating with Common Ground, Christian Church, I like that part, Christian Church, Northeast, and I'm glad to be here, and I thank God for His grace to allow us to be here with you. Again, I thank Pastor Ken and Pastor Eric for the invite to be here. Is that, is that Emily right next there? God bless you. We call her the First Lady. Y'all remember that now. She's always the First Lady. And uh, I think uh, I thank God for my First Lady, uh, Rita Mooney Smiling. Some call her Rita Mooney Smiling, Bevan. If she took that mask off, you just see a big smile all the time. She keeps me going. I love her and I thank her. Also, my mother is here, Betty Bevan. Uh, my greatest supporter, along with my wife, and I think we have a few here today that are from Citadel. If you're from Citadel, would you please stand up if you just might be a handful or so. Thank God for you as well, being here with us. Uh, I'm just so delighted, and I was excited when I got the call from Pastor Ken, and he was sharing with me about your celebration. So again, I am honored. And it is my deep pleasure and great joy to be here with you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you as always for the opportunity to enter into a place of worship that is hallowed and sanctified for your worship and your praise. As we have been here, filling your presence through prayer, 
fellowship and praise, I ask you now to continue to let your presence be felt in giving me precision in this preaching moment, that your people are uplifted, that our understanding is broadened, but most importantly, that you are glorified in all that is done and said. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I am uh, going to do the best that I can to stay with the theme for this month and this celebration of righteous resistance. So I'm going to ask you to go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses there. Daniel, chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Daniel 6, starting at verse 5, I'll read through verse 13. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that would be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king. And reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. So in staying in concert with your theme, I want to speak to you this morning from the subject matter, righteous resistance for the right to live. Righteous resistance for the right to live. And I want to hone back in on verse 10. We'll get to it. But it reads, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Have you ever made enemies at work by doing a good job? 
Have you ever excelled uh, above your coworkers and they look for some way to hold you back, to discredit you or to tear you down? Has your reliance on God ever been categorized as repulsive, resistant, or rebellious? How should you deal with those who would cheer at your downfall and even try to bring it on? How should we respond to attacks orchestrated at our religion, our faith, and reliance on God? Well, Daniel provides for us an example of how to handle such. Let me quickly, if I can, get through the story part to get to what Daniel shows us what to do. At this juncture in the story, Daniel probably is in his 60s. Now, past the age of trying to do anything heroic. You know, he's not going to go on a cliff and try to jump off and say, look at me. And Darius of the Medes is now the king. He has taken over at the age of 62 after the death of Belshazzar. Darius instituted some sweeping changes in the Babylonian government with a system of having 120 local governors themselves being subject to three central administrators who were directly responsible to the king, of which Daniel was one of the three. The reason for this administrative setup was so that the 120 wouldn't get anything or put anything over the king, so the king wouldn't have any damage or loss to his kingdom. A point of interest on that, this setup speaks of the volumes of the temptations of political life, namely the fact that holding high office doesn't guarantee having high morals. So according to verse 3, Daniel, or Darius rather, had planned to promote Daniel to a position of supremacy over the other two presidents and all of the 120 princes, making him the highest chief-ranking executive or political minister over the kingdom, similar to what Pharaoh did with Joseph. Daniel has distinguished himself by proving to be more capable, excellent in spirit, exceptional qualities. With his 60 plus years of service, Daniel had experience, wisdom, sense of history, leadership, a good reputation, ability, aptitude, attitude, and most importantly, revelation from the God of heaven. Thus God wanted him in the place of influence to encourage and to help the Jews return back to Judah. A point of importance. How well do you represent God on your job? One of the best ways to influence your employee, your employer rather, Christian or non-Christian, one of the best ways to get notice or earn a place of respect on your job is to excel in your work while you're at work. It was the prospect of this promotion which precipitated Daniel's drama of being thrown to the lion's den. It put in motion the enemy's plan. When God has you in a position for promotion, something better, something bigger, especially to advance his purpose, beware that Satan may or certainly will concoct some kind of scheme or plan against it and against you. At the heart of this story is an accusation that is brought against Daniel 
and brought about in a devilish and methodical manner. The four-stage progression of how this plays out gives a snapshot of the nature of systems that the people of color, the marginalized and disenfranchised, uh, have to face. And in doing so, that's the reason why they have to fight for their life. And this is what's at stake for Daniel, his life. So in Daniel's response, we also see in this story a way to righteously resist a system that places its knee on your neck. So let's look at the accuser's attack plan. Get a little dry mouth here. Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I'm going to use four words which start with the letter M. The layout how the enemy may pray, P-R-E-Y, may pray on us with an intent to devour us. The devil initiates this stratagem firstly by inciting a malevolent dislike as he did here for Daniel. In other words, just don't like you. It means having an ill will or disposition of harm to others. And so it's a disposition or attitude that really says, I just don't like you. The prospect of promotion aroused an intense natural envy among Daniel's colleagues and his subordinates. One possibility was a racial antagonism, for the Chaldeans considered themselves to be a master race, thus they hated the Hebrews. In addition, it was a political jealousy. Political politics in one sense means relating to how power is achieved. Some folks hate to see a better qualified person promoted or raised over them. And sometimes that better qualified person, the qualification comes by the way of God because of God's grace and favor upon his people. The devil hates the grace of God and what it does upon the lives of his people. And so since the world is not our friend, try not to go around befriending the world. Now this, uh, I get all confused sometimes myself in trying to do some words here. This malevolent dislike or ill disposition of I don't like you led to a malicious intent against Daniel. In other words, being out to get him. Sometimes they're out to get you. You all know what malicious means. But this ill will, I don't like you disposition then, moves to a deliberate intent of doing something that says I'm out to get you. Malicious intent. Verse 4, they search to find fault in how he was handling governmental affairs, to find some grounds for criticism and complaint, to bring charges against him, to prevent his promotion from being chief over the kingdom and over them as well. And possibly having him removed from his current post as one of the top three administrators in the kingdom. At some point in your life or career, you've probably been in the same position. And sometimes you find out that folk will try to dig up dirt on you just to get rid of you. Some may become so jealous that they will start rumors on you or tell straight out lies just to discredit you and damage your influence. Now, if that would ever happen to you, all you've got to do is just keep doing what's right. 
They searched and searched but couldn't find any grounds to accuse Daniel. Their malicious intent against him came up empty. So while they had come to hate him, they could not truthfully criticize him nor bring themselves to even commend him when clearly there was no ground for any complaint to be brought against him. There was no error, there was no negligence or anything amiss about him and what and how he was handling and doing his work in and for the king. The Bible says, and the king says that Daniel was faithful, meaning trustworthy and reliable with his responsibilities. Daniel was beyond indictment and unimpeachable because of his impeccable record of service. He upheld the highest standards. People may not like you and may be out to get you, but when you uphold the highest standards in doing right, folk will have to recognize your integrity, your honesty, your faithfulness, and your dependability. And because of Daniel's professional abilities and flawless character and work ethic, they still had no leverage on him to try to get him down. So understand that malicious intent isn't quenched when it comes up empty-handed. That's just the fuel that keeps the fire for destroying you burning to the point of all-out gang warfare. So the movement from the malevolent dislike and malicious intent progressed to a means to try to entrap Daniel. They concocted a maleficent conspiracy. That means to work or produce ill, the production of harm and evil. They plotted against him. A conspiracy is secretly planning, plotting by a group in, a, in agreement to bring about particular results, typically somebody's detriment. Since they had no leverage on Daniel, their only hope was to employ, employ Daniel's well-known spiritual strength as a means of satisfying their political jealousy by turning the king's spiritual weakness into their own political strength. Since they couldn't truthfully criticize Daniel, they conspired against him in attacking his religion with something that goes against the rules of Daniel's religion. And this is how the world works. They hit you where it hurts. When you want to tear someone down or bring them down low, you hit the hardest where it hurts the most, and that is right at the heart. Or what somebody loves or treasures, that's where you go in to, to hit. What Daniel loved the most was his position and relationship with God and having an influential position in the king's, not the influential position in the king's empire. A quick point of importance. One of our love for God should hold the preeminent position in our heart over any prominent position that we hold in the world. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. With all of your heart. So not only did they hit Daniel where it hurts, they did it behind his back. All of the administrators, the high officers, the top two guys in the 120, and every, every other official assembled together before King Darius and were in agreement with what they were about to bring about before the king. What's wrong with this picture? Everybody was there, but Daniel, thank you. Thank you for helping me preach. Everybody was there, but Daniel, who was one of the top 
administrators, certainly somebody out of all of those officials in the room, with all of you, the lead pastor, associate pastor, and some of the other uh, uh, major team leaders here, if you had a meeting, and if one of them went out in the room, wouldn't you probably notice it? Certainly you would. It's interesting that they didn't, especially Darius did not, even the other 120. In none of the meetings that they had, Daniel was not in their midst. And even more interesting is that Darius, who was going to promote Daniel over everybody, didn't seem to notice that Darius, I mean that Daniel is not in the room. People of color, the marginalized and disenfranchised, even in a position of authority, highly skilled and above average, experience being not only overlooked, but also kept and left out the loop. Now the only way to make this conspired plan work was to get the one who made the final decision, the king. They do so by going in and using flattery to stroke the spiritual weakness of most male mortals, their ego and their pride. They entered and said, may the king live forever. Certainly this was a formal greeting to be expressed because Darius could have their head at any time. But think about this. A king represents a kingdom. When we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the king of kings, we immediately have to think about his kingdom. And every kingdom has a system of operation. Go read about it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so these officials are working the system to get Daniel killed. Thus they frame their request as non-threatening to the religious tolerated traditions with the 30-day limit. You know, you all, they always throw something in there, some little candy in there, so it's because something opposite of that, you know, so it doesn't seem to be so harmless at all. And they do it with the emphasis that according to the Persian system of law, that anything that is put in print, stamped and signed and approved by the king with his ring or whatever it might be, it cannot be repealed. When the folk can't get you for doing wrong, they might, get a, they might devise a way to get you for doing what is right. They'll twist what is right and make it wrong. I could address some political tactics that have been legislatively recently enacted in numerous states that some consider to be voter suppression, but let me move on. Once the Maleficent conspiracy clicked, it produced the death nail and moved to the fourth stage of the strategy, which is a malignant injust, inju injunction to devour Daniel. Here they went in for the kill. I'm trying to skip through here and hurry up, get out your way. Malignancy generally always, we think, leads to death. And so this injunction would require only a brief period of 30 days without vocal prayer to God. 30 days doesn't seem like a very long time, but what would your life be like 
if you went 30 days without water, 30 days without food, 30 days without bathing, 30 days without brushing your teeth, 30 days without going to work. I think we can make a case that in some things, 30 days can make or break you. Especially 30 days with no prayer directly spoken to God. Prayer is our power hookup and lifeline to God. A 30-day program of no prayer to God is death knell to a believer. 30 days without an Our Father who art in heaven is like dancing without the music. Trying to play a piano without the ivory keys. Reading a restaurant menu but never ordering any food. Trying to jump without any legs and trying to drive a car without a key unless you know how to. <laughs> 30 days of no prayer limits leaders, leaving them limp and lifeless. 30 days of no prayer suffocates a saint by cutting off the spiritual oxygen supplied by the Holy Spirit. 30 days of no prayer forms a soft and spiritually unfit saint incapacitated for engaging in spiritual battle. 30 days of no prayer develops a drifting saint without divine direction. 30 days of no prayer produces nothing but a puny, petrified, panic-filled, powerless person. Just 30 days. The initial intent of the conspiracy was to discredit Daniel by killing his influence and credibility. But now, the ultimate intent of decreeing this injunction of no prayer was to get Daniel executed. Put him in the lion's den, not for a Daniel's fast, but for a Daniel dinner, thereby ensuring his death, which would absolutely prevent Daniel from being elevated to the top position. There's so much more I can deal with that evangelistically, spiritually, and strategically, but I've got to move on. By signing the document, Darius established the injunction, making it immutable and irrevocable. It was permanent, unchangeable. It was fixed. It was final. The fat lady had sat down from singing. So Darius made it a done deal, officially signed Daniel's death notice. Now knowing Daniel's reliability of maintaining a relationship with his God through open prayer would certainly be categorized as rebellion to the king. The conspirators were now confident that Daniel's fate was sealed. I hope you're still with me. We're about to make a shift. The we don't like you, out to get you, with a plot against you to kill your plan had been laid. The nature of the system's M&Ms, those four M words that I just tried to, that, that I butch, uh, butchered up there. The nature of the system of M&M strategy is the knee on the neck. In the words of the Washington Post columnist Sally Jenkins, she writes, the knee, this is the knee, not she wasn't talking about this text per se, but the knee on the neck is the knee that pressures, it stifles, it gags, it chokes, and it silences, unquote. This need puts people of color and the marginalized and disenfranchised in the position of having to always fight to live. For the three Hebrew boys, 
In Daniel chapter 3, it was bowed to a man-made image or a face of fiery furnace. For Daniel here in chapter 6, it was obey a man-made injunction or be dropped into the den of lions to be devoured for dinner. What will Daniel do? Making it personal and bringing it home, what would you have done in this kind of situation? So let's move to where I've been trying to get to, verse 10. The narrative shifts from King Darius's court to Daniel's home. We're not informed where Daniel was, nor how he found out about the king's decree, forbidding prayer to a god or any other than the king. But when Daniel learned of it, he went home. And in going home, he found himself in a catch-22 situation. A catch-22 is a paradoxical situation from which an individual cannot escape because of either conflicting conditions or contradictory rules. Daniel is in a catch-22 of contradictory rules. Although King Darius's decree is not one of demanding idolatry or denying one's faith, the situation is this. Do I skip prayer to God for 30 days so not to be rebellious to the king? Or do I defy the king's decree and sentence myself to death? Do I bend my conviction and break my connection to God in order to save myself? Whosoever shall save himself shall lose his soul. Do I fear the king and bypass the den of death, or do I remain faithful to God unto death? The decree only prohibits prayer to God for only one month out of the year. What's just one month of my life? Ponder this question. What or would it make any substantial difference in your life or the life of Common Ground Christian Church Northeast if prayer was banned for just 30 days? Let's look at how Daniel righteously resisted in this situation, in this catch-22. In verse 10, the first thing I want you to go home with is this. Regard God rather than man. That's the first point I want you to go home with. Regard God rather than man. And going home, Daniel didn't express any doubt, question, or concern about what he found out. The narrative doesn't intimate that he showed or had any internal turmoil or uneasy or weariness. It doesn't hit that he talked to himself or even within himself on his way home. He didn't call none of his Hebrew friends on the cell phone and discuss what the king had done and what they were going to do about it. A charge against Daniel's is finally found, though, from verse 13, was that he just disregarded what the king had decreed. He does not pay proper attention to the one whom we're to be in the service to. He just ignores the king and his law. Daniel was confident in who he was and in whom his faith is tested. His connection to God was so tight that he could not compromise his religious convictions. But here's what, what was the reality for Daniel and it is for us. He knew he could not rely on Darius, the human mortal king, for life. 
breath, guidance, and strength. He knew what the Apostle Paul infirms in Acts 17, 28, for in him, the heavenly immortal king, but in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Daniel was like the apostles in Acts 5 who were confronted with a charge to stop teaching in Jesus' name. They were brought before the council and asked, didn't we tell you to stop teaching and preaching in this man's name? Instead, you have filled the whole Jerusalem with his teaching. You're the one. We want you to be responsible for it. Death. And Peter, the apostles answered simply with, well, we ought to obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than any human authority. So Daniel, when Daniel found out about the decree, he didn't directly charge or challenge Darius's law, nor did he really verbally attempt to defend himself. Instead of challenging the law and defending himself, Daniel shows us the thing to do. He went and retreated to the right room. He retreated to the right room. When you pray, you enter into your closet. Retreat means to withdraw, move away from an enemy because the enemy has won a battle or the situation is dangerous. When you retreat, you go to a quiet, safe place to avoid a difficult situation. When you go to a retreat, you go to a private place that is safe to be alone and away from the action. Daniel went to his upper room chamber. This was the right room, the place of quiet retirement on the second floor, if you will. Daniel didn't grandstand in public defiance of the decree, yet neither did he hide his devotion to the Lord. Here's the insight. By going upstairs, Daniel was getting above the mess below. You've got to go up to get away from what's happening down right here. Tell somebody, you've got to get above the mess below. Colossians 3 put it this way, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above and not those things upon the earth. You've got to reach into the heavenly realm to be really able to live in the earthly realm. The higher you go up, the air is cleaner. It is noted that seven to 9,000 feet higher is significant with regard to visual observation. You're above the thickest, dense part of the atmosphere, making transparency and contrast better. Every mile of altitude gives about 30 miles of line of sight to the horizon. Have you ever noticed on an airplane when you're riding looking out the window that the higher you go up, the farther out you can see, and you can see more of what's below. In the heavenly realm, you get a clear picture of how to have a proper perspective about what's going on down here. An upper room experience can make a difference. In the upper room, he had open windows. One commentator wrote, Daniel had a closet room, but not a closet religion. Daniel had an open commitment to God and an opening relationship with him. Jesus said, if we are ashamed to confess him publicly, openly, he'll be ashamed of us as well. The windows were opened up. They were facing Jerusalem. Daniel didn't bow to Darius. He bowed to Jerusalem. And by doing so, he was lifting his eyes and his faith to the place that even had been in ruins, but yet still they had a hope in God who said he would rebuild. He would bring them back. And so their faces were facing, his face faced Jerusalem regardless of where the king's palace was. 
And Daniel knelt down on his knees. Although the Jews ordinarily stood at public prayer in the post-exilic period, they began the custom of kneeling during private prayer. But they had an example early in history. The scene of Solomon's dedication in 1 Kings 8 states that he stood before the Lord, before the altar, and spread his hands open to heaven when he began to pray. But eventually, somewhere along the line, somewhere between the beginning and the end of the prayer, out of his heart of contrition and his heartfelt confession of Israel, you got picture number one, anybody? There it is right there. I think you got it right there. He fell to his knees. And I meant to put the other picture up there first, the one where he was standing. Then you can see the switch. He was standing when he started the prayer, but when he ended, he was down on his knees with his hands lifted to the Lord. Kneeling indicated the earnestness of one supplication and submission to another's authority and will. Kneeling in prayer, one commentary says, it says is a symbol of dependence, humility, and contrition before God. Kneeling is also the posture in which a person appears to be most defenseless, such as the person who is on his knees and handicuffed on the ground. Also, in light of a system that places its knee on people's necks, the posture of kneeling is a response of protest against what is wrong and unjust, to bring awareness to the injustice and summons a call to action to correct it and make it right, just, and fair for all. Can you show picture number two? To bring awareness to the injustice, injustice, and to summons a call of action to correct it and make it right, fair and just for all. Can you show picture number three? Colin wasn't the first one who did it. Sometimes you have to kneel down for your right to live. We are born, I'm about finished, we are born with two knees. In life, there are two knees. Again, I quote Sally Jenkins, writing in one of her columns, one knee protesting in the grass. In life, that is. We've got two knees we're born with, but in life, there are also two knees. One protesting in the grass, Sally writes, one pressing on the back of a man's neck. Choose, she continues. You have to choose which knee you will defend. There are no half choices. There is no room for indifference. There is only the knee of protest or the knee on the neck, unquote. I don't know why I'm getting dry today. Daniel chose the knee that did not choose the knee that bends to the system. Daniel chose the knee that bends to life. 
The third thing I want you to go home with, religiously maintain relationship with God. Again, one, retreat to the right room. I messed up, I messed up myself here. But thirdly, religiously maintain relationship with God. As stated, Darius' decree placed Daniel in this catch-22 situation of contradictory rules. Darius' decree was not one demanding idolatry or asking him to deny his faith. The situation again with Daniel, do I skip prayer for 30 days or be rebellious to the king? We should not view Daniel from the perspective of going home to pray only or just because of the catch-22 situation. One of the greatest lines about Daniel is found at the end of verse 10. As he did aforetime in the King James, or as he has done before, as he usually did, as he always had done. Daniel went home, never on his knees, three times a day as he had always done it. For Daniel going home when he did to pray was business as usual. As Daniel practiced prayer, we are to pray continually without ceasing in everything, in all circumstances, to give thanks. Like what a writer says about Daniel, and the Spirit helps us to pray, a biblical theology on prayer, and I quote, great individuals have great habits, great habits make great individuals. Communion with God should be the foremost habit of every child of God. Daniel's unserving devotion in the face of vicious and bloodthirsty persecutors sprang from his long practice prayer habit. His habit had steel in his soul so that when his life was threatened for the practice of prayer, he simply kept up his practice without apology. Unquote. Let me close with this. There is always a fight for life. Picture four, please. There is always a fight for life. The greatest fight for life was in a garden called Gethsemane, when Jesus fell to the ground and knelt down. Jesus took a knee, if you will, against the forces of hell, fighting for our life. Yes, he was praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass but for me. But he really was on his knees fighting for our life. So that in his death on the cross, we might live. Yeah. Come on and give God a praise right there. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lord of lords. Hallelujah to the Prince of peace. Hallelujah to the one who loved me first. There's always a fight 
her life. So maintain a righteous resistance to the fight of and for your life. Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your presence in this place. Thank you for the joy that we have in knowing who you are. For in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And God, we fully experience it because of what you said. That if any man believe on him, it should not perish. You love the world so that you gave your only begotten son. That if we did believe in him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. We read the story in the Garden of Gethsemane so many times. But truly, he wasn't fighting for himself. He was righteously fighting for us that we might live. Thank you, Jesus, our elder brother. Thank you, Jesus. For loving us so much that you would bend and bow just for us that we might live. We bless you and we thank you, almighty God. Let this word that has been shared bring forth, God, what was needed and what you want in our hearts. That as we leave this place and continue to live, that we do it knowing how we can righteously resist so that we can live. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.